Well, I do want to welcome you to our third um, Sunday uh, in our Equip Hour to uh, talk about Psalm 23. Um, our uh, first two weeks were part one, part two, uh, really about the reflections of the Lord as my shepherd. Um, and we're going to transition this, this week to um, uh, focus down a little bit more in a holistic way about uh, meditations um, just to as it pertains to um, our shepherd and the sheep. And so, as we think about that, you know, um, the Old Testament's really replete with um, observations about uh, God as our um, great great shepherd, right? And you come to Jesus in John, right? And he talks about, I am the what? I am the good shepherd, right? I am the good shepherd, and then you get to uh, um, Hebrews and Peter, and he talks about you know the chief shepherd, <laughs> and that we as um, that we have uh, absolute clarity to the different kinds of roles that uh, God that, that God has in our life. Um, well, with that, um, I'd like to open our time in prayer and uh, pray that God would use our time together, one of our lives. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. <clears throat> Father, we come to you with uh, um, brokenness and desire to um, hear a fresh word from your Spirit who has an incredible way of knowing our very deepest needs and meeting them with the Word of God. Father, is that great um, confidence that we have in your Word that allows us to um, seek you through it. Father, you've promised that as we seek you, uh, you would disclose yourself to us. You would show us who you are. Father, I pray that this morning would be another morning that's all about your glory and all about your magnificence. Father, as um, even those who were in our our community group this week, we read and we sang um, it, we want you to be our magnificent obsession. Father, we pray that that would be the cry of our hearts this morning. I pray that you would use just this time to speak into the caverns of each one of our souls and our de- deepest needs in the way only you can do. We submit our very lives to you, well in power of your spirit this morning. Have with us what you want. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, as we think about this week, a couple of questions I wanted to tee up as we started from your conversations at the tables. Um, What were any uh, kind of insights that you had from our studies the last couple weeks or that you learned or or possibly just, you know, you were just, you know, it was a cemented reminder uh, in our time together. Any thoughts around that? The oil? Uh Uh-huh. And, and that was, for anybody maybe that wasn't here? Protection. Yeah, a sense of real protection and, and just the, the manifold, multifaceted approach that uh, the shepherd uses oil for. Yeah. Amen. Others? Other thoughts? Okay. Rod and the staff, yeah. Other use. We're going to get a little bit more into that a little bit today, too. Others? Other observations or insights? At all? Okay. All right, and uh, 
uh, as we talked, uh, as, as I asked you here in question number two, um, as you look through the psalm and read it together, um, just throw out really, just really loudly, some of the character traits that you see kind of embedded in, in the psalm of who God is. Security, okay? Others? Comforter, okay? Provider, okay? Healer. Healer, okay? Other ones? Leads and guides, I'm sorry, um, Ann? Leads and guides, okay? All right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just one of the things I wanted to kick our time off with is that, you know, as we think about um, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, you know, and, and we think of, and, you know, our conclusion out of week one was that we are sheep, right? Was, um, it, uh, do, do we know, do we really know our shepherd? And, and do we really trust him? And these are tough, big questions. They're not just glib, quick questions. How does that manifest itself in my life? Do I see him as my all in all? And how does that actually uh, demonstrate itself day in and day out in my life? Well, let's uh, move um, on in our study. And we'll begin with looking at uh, verse 2b. Um, He leads me beside quiet or still waters. And uh, we're going to focus on a number of the attributes of God here. First of all, His refreshment. His refreshment. He leads me beside quiet or still waters. There's three main ways um, that uh, uh, sheep get water. One is for, from streams and rivers. One is from wells that are served up to them. Uh, but, it, but the third way um, was fascinating to me. I, I really didn't understand it. In fact, a sheep... A, a, a sheep can go for close to a month if it's not really, really hot without actually drinking water. They just uh, need to wake up early in the morning and, and be able to get the refreshment that comes off of the dew on the grass where it lays really heavy on the grass. And what a great picture if you think about just, um, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, the men and women that I know from history and in my life that God has used in a mighty way have been the men and women who get up early and have a time, or some time, but definitely it's amazing how God uses the early hours before daybreak, or as day is breaking, uh, at least in my life, to um, be a time of refreshment. Be a time of communion. Be a time of, of him, me meeting him, and, and the satisfaction process of, of beholding him in, in the word of God and how that um, refreshes my soul. I, I don't know any other way to say it. Um, it's, it's the way he's wired, at least me. Some, some people maybe are, old, are um, go to bed late. And that's the same place where you... But, but you know what? If it's not this time in the day, then um, I don't know how we make it through because it's, it's really about having that refreshment to be able to rewire our brains to think differently about the way we, we operate our lives in, in and out of the day, how we make decisions. And um, he, he does this. Um, his, his refreshment, he uses the do, if you would. Our thirsty souls... And our hearts are quietly satisfied in this space and time. Well, next one is really about uh, God's restoration. God's restoration. He says, he restores, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. 
And I want to begin by looking at, um, I want, in this section, I want to look at two ways that God, uh, God interacts with us uh, as sheep. First of all, for um, what we call wandering sheep. Um, wandering sheep. Um, quick explanation of this is, you know, obviously sheep have a habit of wandering. And uh, uh, they go away from the flock. They're, they're just, you know, eating to their heart's content. And they're just like off, you know. Everybody else over here and they're off doing their thing, satisfying themselves, right? And uh, um, night falls. And uh, all of a sudden they wait, you know, they, they, where am I? Where am I? And, and so they are, they're lost. And so they're away from uh, the... the uh, you know the uh, group of uh, the shepherd, and so many times when night falls, it's easy for predators to uh, attack them. It's also very easy for them in a very hilly terrain to not be able to see at night, so fall into holes, fall over cliffs, and uh, and hurt themselves. Um, the shepherd's role is really about pursuing them, going out and pursuing them. He would take a trusted servant with him, probably, and. They'd, they'd go out and hear, call to the sheep, hear them, hear them bleeding, you know, kind of outside the, the realm of the light that they have, and, and then move towards um, finding them, uh, the one who has strayed. And so um, the remedy for curing wandering habits, if this continues and continues over and over and again, um, is, is, is uh, hard for us to understand. But uh, once this occurs, the shepherd takes um, and measures out the extent of his discipline with that sheep. And the next time it occurs, after finding that sheep, they will actually break a leg, one of their legs. They'll break it. And they will put, they'll bandage it up, they'll put a splint on it, and they will um, make sure that that sheep it has, uh, cannot walk, you know, isn't able to get away. Is, and, and what's fascinating about this is that every place that the flock goes, um, that, that sheep can't go by itself. It is utterly, totally dependent upon the shepherd to, to get any place, go anywhere. And all of a sudden, that sheep gets it. They get it in the fact that, that, that they need to stay close to the shepherd. And, and the shepherd will spend lots of time with them one-on-one it, during these next weeks when, the, when their leg is being healed. He will carry the sheep himself, stay close to him. And so they're totally dependent on the shepherd for their every move. A few observations about this wandering sheep and the restoration of God in our lives. Um, give you a few of these. Um, there are six of them. First of all, you know, in our lives, you know, we need to stay close to the shepherd. We need to stay close to the shepherd um, uh, it is, it is uh, the, our, the distance we are from the shepherd is directly proportional to the amount of discipline in our lives. It's the way God, God works. And so as we have intimacy with Him, there is no need for that. It's a gentle word. When we're listening and not pushing back, it is not, it is not, it is not easy for the shepherd to get our... It is very easy for the shepherd to get our attention. Um, so, staying close to the shepherd. Second is, as we think about and hear about this action of the shepherd, what's the first thing maybe that comes to your mind? 
that it's what maybe it's discipline, but it's also I mean in our minds it's 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 cruel. Use the words cruel and unusual punishment, right? <laughs> um, but as from God's perspective, it is not that. In fact, this is love on steroids. Why? What's the purpose of breaking the leg? Saving them, maybe? Okay. Yes? Saving themselves from the self? Yes? Absolutely. Other thoughts? Yes. Teaching him? Yes. Others? Protection. But what is it all about? It's all about restoration. It's all about done in love. It's all about bringing them back to a place of mending. And, and, and that's what that word means. It means, it, 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 it's the idea of to be putting back in place and making whole again. And what is that wholeness that's being made? It's not the leg. It's the intimacy with the shepherd. That's the difference here. Is to be able to see that this is a means to an end. It's not the end. The end is restoration to obedience with the shepherd. That's the key thing here. Next is that the purpose for breaking the leg is for restoration. Purpose is for breaking for breaking the leg is for restoration. Um, hold your finger here and turn with me to Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse ten and eleven. Would somebody read that out loud? Hebrews chapter twelve, verses ten and eleven. Okay, so a lot of fruit of discipline comes out of this passage and actually the verse before it, verse 9, which is what I'll say is abundant life. But the end of this, these fruits of of discipline in our lives, is this last one. And what is it called? You said it was the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What is that? What is the peaceful fruit of righteousness? Anybody got a thought? (laughs) yes and so back into it what I just said right I I fully with all my heart believe that 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 the peaceful fruit of righteousness is confident is confidence of intimacy confidence of intimacy with God confidence of intimacy with God if we have if we have a broken relationship with somebody else we cannot experience intimacy with God to the extent that he wants us to if we have um if we're not interacting with uh, the situations and circumstances of our life that have come our way in a way that allows us to give thanks, we have no ability to be able to actually enter into the presence of God in intimacy the way He wants us to. Because we have put Him, we have become the judge and jury of His situations and circumstances in my life. I stand in judgment of Him. I mean, none of us look at it that way. But that is the way that He that he, he, he sees it. And he sees that as what? Pushing back on him. And his sovereign hand in my life. Because we've, we've learned that all things in all ways and at all times in my life is about his shepherding of my soul. Yeah? Only God can restore the soul, our souls. We look for restoration in so many different places, but only God can restore my soul. It is the work of... Our shepherd who can do that and bring, bring us back. Um, 
Next one is that he seeks us out and proves, the fact that he seeks us out proves we belong to him. We're part of his sheepfold. He doesn't go, you know, necessarily um, uh, find the others if they're not going to somehow be a part of his sheepfold. It's, it's, it's proof positive that, that we are his. He says, and we just read in Hebrews, you know, he, he disciplines those who he loves, loves, and that he does it well. Um, and last but not least here is that he will do whatever it takes to restore his sheep. He will do whatever it takes to restore his sheep. Um, one of the uh, songs that we sang in, in our community group this last week was, um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And, and uh, not the older version, but the newer version. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, the, the words have just been continually, continuing to um, just ruminate in my heart. From the standpoint of says that you know um, that that he is a jealous God, he's jealous for for his name's sake and for his people, and we're going to talk more about that today. But he is a consuming fire, and that he desires um, us to um, glory in his name and to believe that he is worthy of. Our very lives, our very everything, our, our our passions, our affections, everything. He'll do whatever it takes to restore his sheep. I've seen this, you know, in so many ways, you know, up close, in a challenging way because of counseling. I, I you know, involved in counseling quite a bit, and it's just it's it's amazing to me how we, all of us, tend to think it's everything but God's heavy hand in my life. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's it, it, it's it's just the way it is, and I'm not you know figuring out how to work with this situation or this circumstance. Well, where's God in all that? I mean, He has His hand in this situation too. So, to the extent that I can really understand how to navigate it, I can't undo that unless I see it from that third dimension, from the spiritual dimension, which is God's point of view. I can still stay in the exact same situation, but all of a sudden, everything changes in my life. Everything changes. How I view it, how I, how I, how I want to navigate it well, how, how I um, desire to please Him, um, how I will um, choose to die to myself, um, all those things come into play immediately when I re- reframe the, the situation uh, from God's point of view. Isn't that amazing? I find that just utterly fascinating. Um, amen. Well, my question here is, are you, um, are you a wandering sheep even today? And as you look back in your life, as you think about the wanderings, all of us have them, right? What was that like? I'll tell you, it's painful. It is painful. God just seems like the heavens are closed, right? And... Uh, you know, it's until we learn the surpassing value of, I call it, the, con- uh, the confidence of intimacy or the surpassing value of constant presence in, w- in communion with the Lord, um, we will not be fully satisfied, and the joy of the Lord won't be our strength. Well, let's look at the second one. Wandering sheep is the first way that he restores my soul. The second way, and by the way, this is my discipline, my discipline by God, my discipline. The second way he restores my soul is... is we're going to look at cast sheep. Cast sheep. Anybody got a quick uh, description of what it means to be cast or cast sheep? 
Uh, how does a sheep get cast? What does that mean? Pardon me? A ranking, maybe? Um, other thoughts? What do you mean they fall and they can't get up? Sure. Let's take an example where instead of having flat ground, let's say there's a hollow, like a, a comfortable hollow, let's say, and they kind of you know, go into that. Well, if their back's in that, it, it's much harder for them to get out of that. And so literally um, they need the shepherd to come write them up because if they don't, what will happen is if it's a hot day, they flail frantically all their energy... Whoops! All, all their energy is gone. Thank you. All their energy is gone, and they literally, because um, their first stomach is called the rumen, so ruminators, they swallow plants, and then you know they it digests, and then it comes back up, and then they chew it again. Right? That's a cows and sheep are that way. Um, that rumen will expand and literally cut off the blood flow to the extremities, and they will die if they're not. Um, if, if the casting of them has not been resolved. Um, pardon me? Yeah. Yes. So they're upside down, basically, on the back. Okay. Yeah. Like a dog that pulls over Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so the, 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 the challenge here, I mean, can you think about other places in the Scripture? It says, remember, um, he says in uh, Psalm, 20, Psalm 42, he says, um, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Same thing, right? Why are you cast down? That's cast down. Downcast. Why are you downcast? Same thing. Same concept. Comes from the same place, if you would. Um, in, in fact, Matthew 9, 36, uh, Jesus says, after seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were, quote, distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew uh, 9.36 Downcast like a sheep without a shepherd. And they were what? Along with that. Distressed. You know, frantically flailing without a shepherd. Interesting. So, um, a number of reasons for casting in our life. Um, let me give you uh, three, uh, three of them. The first one has to do with soft living. Soft living. So we just said that a sheep chooses a comfortable, soft, rounded hollow in the ground um, for, for, because it feels good. That's, it's feel good. And so um, uh, the parallel principle in our lives is, you know, do we love comfort over commitment in our life? Um, is, that, is the easy place, the cozy corner, the comfortable position where there's no hardship, there's no need for sacrifice, the D word is, is, is not part of our repertoire of discipline, right? Um, it, is not, it is not something that we choose to um, say no to sin and, and, and to die to self. Those aren't languages, those aren't components of language that we navigate or traverse on a daily basis. And so um, the ramifications for us is that... Um, it really chooses to focus our hearts in a selfish place. And when we think about it that way, it, uh, it, it's, it really becomes all about independence, not dependence on God. And, and when that occurs, it teaches us to love comfort over commitment. And uh, many times we'll focus us on the temporal, here and now, versus the there and then. And... Uh, um, it teaches us to build roots in brick and mortar versus the golden city. The golden city that literally has foundations that have been architected and designed and, and put in place by God. 
Um, it, it schools us as becoming natural citizens of this earth that, than to be remembering that we are aliens and, and foreigners in this place and that we, we desire uh, a home that is yet to come. And our home is not he- right here. It's, it's there at that time. It's interesting. The remedy um, for this um, is um, to discipline ourselves to, um, to live and please God versus ourselves. Live and please God instead of ourself. I think of 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. Paul says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of life, of everyday life, so that he may, quote, choose, he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Right? Please the one who enlisted, enlisted him as a soldier. God enlisted every one, uh, uh, each one of us. And, and the question is, 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 am I living for him? Well, the second reason for being downcast is being weighed down. Being weighed down. A, 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 a sheep that, is, that has lots of wool will be mo, mo, far more likely to be, become cast than one that does not. And so um, when we think about wool, what's fascinating is in the, in the scriptures, wool represents sin many times. And uh, as Christians, uh, uh, sin weighs us down just like wool weighs us down. When you think about um, uh, during the winter time and then um, into the spring and the, and the summer um, before the uh, sheep is sheared, um, uh, they, they just pick up in that wool everything from mud, filthy manure, burrs, debris, debris um, uh, parasites, ticks. It's just, in, it's just all enmeshed in this stuff. And, uh, um, and, and what's fascinating to me is that the high priest um, on the day of, uh, on the, um, the high priest could not uh, wear wool when he went into the Holy of Holies. He could not wear wool when he went into the Holy of Holies. And, uh, and so it really does seem to, demonstrate, to, to speak of, of, of sin in our lives. And, and so I ask the question, like, when you think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, you know, the sin that what so easily entangles us. You know, and, and so the, the remedy here is that, is that the, as they move into the um, being weighed down by this as opposed to being, being warmed by it, is, is the shepherd you know, taking his knife and cutting off that, that wool. Um, if the, if the uh, sheep uh, jumps around during that time, what's going to happen? They get cut as a byproduct of it. Um, but but the, the point here is that forgiveness, our forgiveness by God, uh, allows us to completely be restored. And... Uh, as, as, as that sheep is shorn and it's all off, um, it, what a weight removed, gone. And that's what God does in our lives is through forgiveness is he removes it, removes that guilt, removes that lack of intimacy as a result of that. Well, the third one is being overweight. What's fascinating, being overweight. Um, by the way... Um, on the, on the last one, it, just remember, you know, Hebrews 4.12, he says that the, the word of God is what? Sharper than a two-edged sword in our life. Uh, cutting even to marrow and intentions. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> the, the third one is over, being overweight, being too fat. Um, a lot of times that will just cause them to become cast. Um, 
it's, it's the principle in our lives um, certainly can be um, something that I think our our church has um, has uh, trafficked much in in the past, which is um, you know, being far more concerned about the turkey and and the and the preparation of the turkey and and how the turkey tastes than to be so infatuated with like what am I going to do as a result of eating turkey? You know, how how am I going to be obedient to the Word of God? How am I am I, am I just going to be um, somebody who 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 is who's who's a um, effectual hearer or or effectual doer in my life? And so, it's it's crucial for us to remember that um, we need to exercise the muscles of of obedience um, and transformation when we think about becoming. Um, Hearers of the uh, doers of the word um, in our life. Well, whether we struggle from soft living, being weighed down, or being too fat spiritually, um, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 42, when he says, "Why are you downcast?" Oh, my soul gives us uh, clarity as to how to how how to overcome being downcast. He says, "He says, um, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you so disturbed or distressed um, within me?" He says. Hope in God. Hope in God. Yet shall I praise Him with the help of my countenance. I will praise my God. And so praise and thanksgiving and hope, which we're going to talk more about this morning from the pulpit, um, are really the ingredients that, that uh, counteract uh, being downcast in our life. Let's look at God's leading. God's leading. He leads me in paths of righteousness. God's leading... Um, and what, you know, when, when I asked you the question earlier and you exercised this in your, in your groups, what were some of the conclusions maybe that you came to as far as God's leading in your life? Some of the conclusions you talked about as far as how maybe God's leading in your life in the past. Yeah, Mike? Okay. And we don't always see those, do we? We're not always paying attention necessarily. But when we are, it's very clear. I mean, we can look back and see those lots of times, right? Yeah. Um, other thoughts? Oh, man. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. For his name's sake, amen. Faithful, consistent, yeah. He's always consistent, yeah. But isn't this area of, being, of, of God's leading kind of a... It, doesn't it sometimes get really challenging in our life? I, I don't know about you, but... It, but uh, it it, it, gets, it can get really challenging as to what's the nature of it. How does it work? You know, if I can't find it in the scriptures, how do I go forward? You know, just how does this whole thing work? So I wanted to give you some observations around God's leading, if I could, and uh, share the, share four of these with you. The first one is that God leads us in the right path. He leads us in the right path. Um, uh, this. When, 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 you, when he says he leads me in paths of righteousness, this actually could be translated instead, he leads me in the right paths. The right paths, as opposed to the wrong paths. He leads me in the right paths, is how it could be translated instead. Um, when, when you look at this and you see two roads converging and we're standing at the middle of, at, at, at that intersection, um, th- that's where it's really hard, isn't it? That's where it's like, what, what am I supposed to do? Um, I, I get the fact that I can eliminate all the roads that you know have to do with my selfishness or have to do with um, th- th- that aren't good for me, right? But but once you've done that, 
how, how do you determine the will of God to take the right path? Isn't that the, isn't that the question? Yes. Yeah? Any thoughts on that? Pray? Okay. Definitely. Pray and wait. If you're not sure, kind of put, put things on hold. Okay? Seek counsel from godly people that you know. Absolutely. Seek counsel from godly people you know about the direction in which you should go. When you say pray, what are you praying for? Wisdom, right? Wisdom. That God would give you wisdom to know how to make the right decision. But, you know, we can get, we can get, we can get ourselves wrapped up around the, the axle of our life like a pretzel in these situations. And I, 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 I just want to emancipate you for, 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 for a little bit. Okay. Because, you know, sometimes we look back and go, oh man, I should have made that decision. I can see it so clearly now. God, you know, I repent, you know. I, 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 made, I made the wrong decision in my life, you know. I, I guess my question is, do you think on a regular basis that God has, you know, the red dot of our life? That that is... Like we we miss that one, you know we're we're toast, you know, and that's not and that's not our wife, okay, our spouse, you know. Oh, I missed that one. Uh, what? Right? Is God is our God that way? Is He that small? No, He's not. God is an awesome God. He's sovereign. He even uses our sinful decisions in our life as believers to somehow redeem them for His glory. Amen? Amen. And, and if I'm standing at that crossroad there, or you might be today, let me say this. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Do it. Do it. God goes before the decision. God enables the way. God prepares the path. God has been there before you were, and He knew which way you were going to go, and He's going to make it according to His will. But you got to keep your eyes on the shepherd, because He is the one that will lead you through that process. I got so wrapped up in this when I was growing up, is to try, you know, to miss God's will, do this and that. It's like, when I came to, and, th- and I learned this, this emancipated my whole life to know that God takes and goes before me in my decisions in a way that allows Him to be glorified and me to be fully fulfilled. Sometimes we think that God's like out there like with an ogre and He's like, you know, if I miss that one, boy, did the wrong turn, do a U-turn. Well, sometimes, I mean, if we've got wrong, wrong reasons for making decisions, great, but that's not our God. Our God actually goes before us and prepares the way. How cool is that? Second is that God leads us. He doesn't drive us. Leads us and doesn't drive us. Um, in Africa, um, northern Africa, northern uh, Nigeria, they have these cows, these herds of cows, and, the, and, and these horns, they're this big. They're this big around. You know, huge cows, you know, going, herds. Well, the, the, those, those herders have these long, huge, big sticks. And they do not like... Come on, come my way, okay? <laughs> They're behind them, beating them, beating these, these, this herd to keep them going the right direction. That's not how our God is. Our God doesn't drive, doesn't drive us. He leads us. He's like the Palestinian shepherds that, that um, use fruit to coax the flock to follow them. That's our God. That's our God.
God's already been where He's going to lead us to. He goes before us. Remember Hebrews 12.1, He says what? Run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word set before us is literally this concept. It's the idea that God has actually gone before me and marked out the way in which I, He knows I'm going to, to walk. And He prepares it before man. How great is our God to know that every one of us in all of our lives, that He, uh, he loves us enough that He's marking the way out before us. Wow. That's, that's really awesome. And he says, run it with endurance. Run it with endurance. Well, next one is sheep don't always follow. Sheep don't always follow. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. Do you think that that just stops when we become believers? <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll attest to the fact that it, it does not. You know, personally. It does not. I mean, we all want what we want when we want it, right? And we, we don't tend to like to be led by anybody, much less the Good Shepherd. And uh, um, the interesting thing is Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in, the, in its end it, the way it is the way of death. I'll suggest that's true um, eternally. It's also too, true existentially in our life. Because all our decisions for sin end up in some level of existential death. What is death? It's separation from God. And as, from an intimacy perspective, that's fully compromised when I make those decisions in my life. My eternity with Him is forever. But that doesn't ha- give me great confidence of intimacy um, as I walk this road. Um, and that's what He wants us to um, experience. Well, the great news is, Enter Christ. <laughs> Enter the Good Shepherd. He's the one that actually makes this all work work out. Uh, Mark eight thirty four says, and he summoned this multitude with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me and follow me, let him what? Deny himself and let him take up his cross. Deny himself and take up his cross. And so, if we want to follow the Shepherd, these, this is what he asks us for: is to give up ourselves. Well, let's talk about the thing that. Um, that uh, John brought up in uh, end of verse uh, 3. He says, for his name's sake, God's reputation, God's reputation. Um, this is his renown, his renown. He says, for, for, for his name's sake. It's for the sake of, of the renown of his name. Uh, why can we be sure we can trust his guidance and his leading? It's because as a shepherd in the, in the Middle East or any place, if, if a shepherd lost sheep or lost the flock or somehow they got killed, um, he would not be well viewed. In fact, that he wouldn't be getting too many more flocks. Um, and so the, the very reputation of the shepherd is in how he takes care of the sheep. And uh, it's in the same way that we can trust God to safely care and lead us um, for the for the for the glory of His name for the for His character which has to do with being jealous for His glory. His glory literally is the the incredible out the it's, it's, it's the incredible manifestation of the multifaceted dimensions of God's character displayed through visible light that surrounds 
the person of God in such a way that it, 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 it actually shines out from him. He is the only being in the universe that has intrinsic, shine-outable light uh, that, um, that we see. It's the glory of God. And, and that's really due to the char- his character, on the, uh, which, is, which is when you look up in, this, in, in, the, in, the, in the dictionary and you see every one of these things, it, it is the definition of, of God. That's love, that's joy, that's peace, that's righteousness, that's everything there is. He is the definition of those. And that is His glory. Uh, The glory of God's name should be the goal of our lives and what we pray for. I think of the Lord's Prayer. It starts off in Matthew 6, verse 9. It says what? Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? What's hallowed mean? Sacred. Revere. Revere your name. Your name is on display. Your name is uh, for the glory of your name. You live. That's why we live. Is to lift his name up. Um, I'll just read these really quickly um, because I can jump to the next. But uh, he, uh, just a whole bunch of verses. I'll, I'll throw them out to you. Um, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Uh, Isaiah 43, 21. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, talking about the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may be, proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of his darkness into marvelous light. Uh, Pharaoh. Uh, regarding Romans 9.17, the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you that my name would, might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. i got pages and pages and pages of these from Joshua to Ezekiel to Isaiah to pardon for sin. Um, it's about the glory of his name. That's why he does what he does. Um, well, because of time, let's move on. Beginning of verse 4, it's God's preparation. God's preparation. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God's preparation. David says here that I walk through it. I don't end up dying in it. And we said this, um, this valley of the shadow of death is really not a good translation. It's probably better translated the, the valley of the shadow of deep darkness. The valley of the shadow of deep darkness. And we said there's two types of, 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 uh, of valleys uh, here. Um, last week I said three, but I combined them for this week. Valley of death and valley of circumstances. Valley of death. Death for the believer is nothing more than... Uh, 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 I love this quote. Death for the believer is nothing more than removing the, the, uh, the uh, plates left over from the appetizer to make room for the main course. Isn't that great? Death for the believer is nothing but removing the plates of the appetizer and make, trying to make room for the main course. <laughs> so it's, it, it is not an end. It is a passageway to the presence of God. Um, I think of 2 Corinthians 5.8. He says, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at what home with the Lord. Home with the Lord. Revelation 117, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he lay his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last of the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I, I alone have the keys of death and of Hades. Amen? Well, the valley of circumstances and situations in our life, valley of suffering could be another way you say this. Um, 
disappointments, frustrations, discouragements, dilemmas of life, uh, they can be this dark and difficult shadow lands that we navigate in our lives. Um, but we don't need to, to um, we don't need to fear them. Because these valleys literally are the, are the, are the, are the way in which we get to uh, the, the tablelands or the highlands. And uh, we'll talk about that in a second. So I wanted to give you a couple of points as far as um, value in the valleys. What is the value in our lives as far as the valleys go? First, va- valleys are how we get to higher ground. If we want uh, to experience the, um, the high experiences that, that I believe we will experience forever in eternity... Um, we get a chance to taste them once in a while in this life. But I'll suggest that, that the journey to there is not being airlifted from, from base camp to, to, the, high, to, to the mountain. It, it's that we have to go through the valleys to get there. And so uh, valleys are how we get to higher ground. Um, second is that God is in the valleys. God is in the valleys. Um, don't for a second think that if God didn't lead us there, that He's not there. If he led us there, he's there. And therefore, we can trust him when we're there. Because he's also promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. Third is that it's in the valleys that they have water and food. It's in the valleys that they have water and food. In the valleys is where... Um, when we're in the midst of the most difficult circumstances of our life, we can find the refreshment that God, God alone gives us through Himself. Um, and what's fascinating to me is that, I don't know about you, but water, when it treks through the valleys, it, 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 it does what to the landscape? Changes it. It, erodes, it, it. it carves it out, right? And what's fascinating to me is that, um, as I look at back at, the challenges in the valleys in my life, because I've gone through certain valleys, um, I can dispense water to other people because of having navigated those well or learned what I need to learn through them. God has a habit of, of carving into my life through, through the valleys the, the things I learn. And through those exact same carve-outs, let's call it, Water can be dispersed from me to others in refreshment and encouragement when they're going through the exact same valley that I've, that, that, that I've navigated in the past. Um, and, and that's an amazing thing. Valleys uh, build faith and confidence. Valleys build faith and confidence. Um, faith um, is, is not the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Hear me very carefully. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the overcoming of doubt in our life. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the overcoming of doubt in our life. And faith, why, why do valleys build faith and confidence? It's because the valleys require a decision in my life. Faith only comes into existence when I make a decision. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. What does that mean? It means that I can't please God without making a conscientious, explicit decision in my life. Because that's the only way faith comes into existence. So faith has three dimensions to it. One is a daunting risk. A daunting risk. Second is a challenging struggle. Challenging struggle. A daunting risk and a challenging struggle. 
here's, 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 here's the third one is what makes all the difference. And it determines whether faith comes into existence or I don't exercise faith in a situation. The third, the, the, the third so daunting risk, challenging struggle. The third one here is a worthy object. A worthy object. When I make a decision to please God versus myself, Him being the worthy object in my life, that's when faith comes into existence. Valleys build faith and confidence. God's comfort, I'm going to go quickly here. Um, a couple things here as far as the rod. We've talked a little bit about this before, so I'm going to hit this real quick. His rod, his rod there is that one that, that's the small one, the two and a half foot one there. Um, it's got, uh, it usually has metal built, uh, pounded into the end of it uh, for defense capability. So his rod is for defense in my life, um, to defend against uh, predators, uh, evil. It's for warning. He will throw it at a sheep who's getting someplace where they shouldn't be, tell them to back off or whatever. And uh, third is for examination or counting. Um, you ever hear the, la- the language, the, don't pull wool over my, la- my eyes? It, 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 that, that's from, from where a shepherd will be inspecting a sheep, and he'll use his, his, uh, his rod to pull back the, um, the wool to see if, in fact, there's infection or other things underneath. And the concept of not, you know, not pulling wool over my eyes is the idea of the fact that, that uh, d- d- fully disclosing what's, what's below the surface, if you would. Um, next is his staff. Um, he uses it to rescue them. To rescue them. Uh, he uses it for um, preparing the way before them. He'll take it and actually, uh, the, the long staff, he'll, he'll pound the, 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 the grass in front of them to, to ensure that the, the, those little vipers, brown vipers we talked about, you know, are, they, they're hightailing into their holes. Um, he uses it to support them when they fall in in uh, holes and caverns. He uses it to comfort them. Comfort them. He will literally, um, uh, 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 much like the Holy Spirit does in our life, he'll, he'll, he'll pull them to himself uh, with, with, with the staff. Another is to hold hands, which is fascinating. To hold hands. He'll, um, the, he, he puts his, uh, for a sheep, that, that continual um, touching is their way of holding hands. And so he'll, he'll literally rest his staff on them as they walk along. And, and it's, the, it's the metaphor f- from a relational perspective of holding hands. And the last one here is um, to intentionally reassure them. To intentionally reassure them um, when, 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 the, when, the, um, when they're walking along and he just like touches them on the side, it's, it's just a gentle a reassurance that he's there. He, he, he's with them, and, and, he, and he understands. Um, God's provision, verse 5, uh, you prepare a table before me. Uh, the shepherd's preparation is, it, it, we said already, this happens beforehand. He's gone before them uh, to, to find out wh- which meadows they should graze in and what basins they should graze in. Uh, he goes before them to um, uh, uh, find out where the poisonous weeds are. Uh, many poisonous weeds can, can kill sheep. And so he will determine where those are. He'll pick them out or he'll take them to um, that, that area. Third one is he'll check for predators. He'll check for predators, make sure there are none around. And then last but not least, the shepherd's preparation is he creates drinking places for them. He, he laboriously 
prepares places for them to drink because they will not drink out of running water. So he has to dam up places, remove the debris, make sure that they have what they need in order to drink. Uh, Our shepherd's preparation is Jesus knows our weaknesses and our needs. He's been there before us. It says that he is like us. He has experienced the the things we've experienced before. He's been tempted in all things like us. He's, he's experienced the sorrows of us. And, he, and so he, ha, he, he of all people can, can, can function in this way. Um, second is that Jesus pre- has prepared a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13, right? Um, he says that he will, he will provide a way of escape in our life. And, and he will make sure that, that, is, that, is, uh, that no temptation has has. has under, overcome us, in the, but that he will with that provide a way of escape. And then last but not least, I thought um, this was crucial for us as we think about um, having communion even this morning, you know, the personal cost to us of the table that he's prepared. Um, how, how amazing is that, that God has prepared this table before us in the presence of our enemies? And, and as you think about like tying that to communion, uh, the table that we, we celebrate um, uh, do we rightly remember and appreciate what it cost him to do that? I don't think we do, um, like we should. Well, verse 6 is God's promise. Surely all the goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, flowing to me. A um, couple things here, just really quickly in closing. Um, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And, and this is true when our bodies are breaking down. This is true... Uh, when I feel helpless because a loved one is is dying on me, um, this is true uh, in my life when I lose my job and I can't pay my bills. This is true when my children struggle with their grades. This is true when I don't like the music my children are playing. This is true when my relationships with key people in my life are are, are at stake. This is true when my marriage is not is not where it needs to be. This is true when friends turn their backs on us. This is true when. Our children hang with the wrong crowds. This is true when our dream castles of aspirations of our life you know, are shattered in one day. God is still good. God is still good. And His goodness and His mercy is still following me all the days of my life. Well, let me give you a couple comments here. Three, and three, three on this side. Remember His faithfulness in the past. Uh, Michael's going to talk about this this morning. How do we rem- how do how do we remember? We remember three things. First of all, the, the the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. That that single thing gives us the great joy that we have for our lives. The second is that how God has worked in in in, in history, especially specifically in men and women of God in the Scriptures, that He's always been faithful to that end. And number three, that he literally is working and has worked in my life and the people around me, their lives. I can have great hope. I have great confidence, confident expectation of the future because of the promises he's given me. And so um, I can trust him now and I can remember his promise for our good. Well, last here is flowing, instead of flowing to me, flowing from me. I thought this was interesting in closing. (laughs) Uh, Sheep have the best manure of all livestock. (laughs) <laughs> sheep produce best balanced manure of all domestic livestock when it's spread and scattered evenly it provides enormous benefits to the soil um, how fascinating is it that God redeems our even, even the worst part about us and he makes it everything he wants it to be amen amen
natural grass cutters, they, they literally cut the grass. <laughs> what, what a great thing. And last but not le- least here in closing is sheep are known as, as, as those of the golden hoofs. Those of the golden hoofs. In fact, um, they are re- regarded as highly esteemed for their beneficial effect on the land and what they leave behind. So in closing, let me draw your attention to your own personal legacy in your life, in my life. What's, the, what's my legacy? What am I leaving behind for those behind me? Is it, would, they, would they view me as, as, as golden hoofs? Would they view me as somebody who has left a legacy of godliness? A, a man who walked with God, who cared uh, about loving others? Um, is that how I would be viewed? If not, that, that's my goal. So there's a, there's a gap between where I'm at today and where I want to be. And I want God to close that gap. And I think that's true in each of our lives. You know, just, just I think of, 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 of leaving a legacy, and I think of a number of women in my life. Just to, I'll, I'll point them out just very quickly, and we'll close in prayer. Ada Smith, one of the greatest women in my life. Whenever you were with her, she built into your life the ability to be able to be believed in. She believed in me. This is the one gift that somebody has given me, that she believed in me. Amazing gift. The other women in my life, my mom, my mom and my Sally's mom, for different reasons, for different purposes, both incredibly faithful women, leaving a legacy of faithfulness. My wife, no other person in, in this world has taught me more about unconditional love than her. None. And she continues to teach me and continues to teach me. She teaches me about intimacy with God and praise and worship. And is she perfect? No. But let me tell you, I learn more from her than anybody else. And now, my daughter, a woman who has grown up to love God. And, and I've learned so much from her. And so as we think about leaving a legacy in our lives, I trust that this study has has penetrated your very souls and that it has um, given you pause to think about where you are in your life. David, would you close us in prayer?